All right, tonight, if you have your Bibles, would you open God's Word, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Uh, Last Sunday night, we started kind of pushing the fast-forward button. Last Sunday night, we looked at chapters 15 and 16. Tonight, we push that fast-forward button again as we go to chapters 17 and 18 and talk about the fall of the last world empire, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. These two chapters go well together uh, as far as study. And so this is a a good time to to begin to combine some chapters. Now, I will confess to you that these two chapters are also some of the toughest chapters to understand in the whole book of Revelation. Uh, I'm going to do my best to try to cover the essential material, the essential information, try to give you a framework, I guess is the best way to say it. I'm going to do my best to give you a framework to understand chapters 17 and 18, but I'll confess up front, I'm sure we won't answer all of your questions, nor could I probably answer all of your questions raised by the material in these two chapters. Uh, Scholars have debated what some of this stuff means, and uh, for centuries, I doubt that we're going to fully grasp or explain everything uh, in this this study. But we'll do our best to, to give you a good framework, help you understand the essentials of it, and then maybe on your own study, you could go back and fill in the blanks. Um, just remember, as we set the context, in chapter 16, uh, we, we talked about the seven bowls of God's wrath. That was a, an awful thing to talk about, if you remember. The, the things that are predicted that are going to happen the, as God pours out His wrath on sin. That's chapter 16. And towards the end of that chapter, there's an interesting ref, reference to Babylon. Look at chapter 16, just for context, and look at verse 19. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the full cup. Notice that. Or the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. John must have been amazed and bewildered at the fierceness of God's wrath poured out upon the earth. And so one of the angels apparently comes to John to explain the judgment on Babylon. Uh, Chapters 17 and 18 of Revelation provides us with some of the ideas as to why God will seek to destroy this city. Why is it that God will pour out His wrath on Babylon? And chapters 17 and 18 Uh, answer that question, why God will seek to destroy this city. Now, before we read the text, let me explain to you, and I put this in your notes, uh, that there are actually two Babylons that are referred to in these two chapters. Babylon the Great is both, and this is a little confusing, so stick with me. Babylon the Great is, is referred to both as a woman and as a city in these two chapters. As a woman, she is portrayed as the Babylonian mother, the mother of false religions. Think of her in those terms, the mother of false religions who seduce people away from their, their relationship with the true God to worship false idols. She's referred to as the prostitute or the mother of prostitutes and is talking again about false religions. That's as a woman, she's dis- depicted as a woman. Also, Babylon is depicted as a city and is portrayed as the Babylonian monster. This refers to the political system, I believe, the political system that will be uh, in charge in that day that will come into being during this time of great tribulation. 
And when we're talking about the Babylonian monster, or when we're talking about this city, this empire, if you will, it will be the last world empire. and It will be a tool of the Antichrist. This is where that one world government will come out of. And they will persecute believers, and they will prostitute uh, demonic idol worship. And so we begin with that context. We begin reading in chapter 17, verse 1. Again, it's, it's as if John is stunned and amazed and bewildered by the fierceness of God's wrath that is to be poured out upon the earth. So one of the angels comes to him to explain why all of this is happening and how it will happen. Chapter 17, verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls, she held a cup, a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead. Now notice the title. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk. This is such a grotesque and picturesque Sentence, verse 6, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Uh, we will continue to read in a moment, but the scene outlined here is one of high drama, of course. Seven bowls have been poured out on planet earth, resulting in unimaginable pandemonium and havoc. The dust and the debris and the, of a devastated world is everywhere. John, in his mind, as he's trying to understand all of this, the angel comes to John and invites him to see this from a different perspective, to see all of this from a different vantage point. And he's told quite candidly that he will be viewing the punishment of Babylon the Great. The punishment of this great prostitute. By the way, in the Bible, when you see prostitute mentioned in the Bible in these terms, it's always referring to uh, someone who, who commits spiritual adultery, uh, someone who commits, uh, who is not faithful to the Lord. And, and so think of it this way, the, uh, this Babylonian mother, this bride that's mentioned here uh, is going to be the prostitute of false religion, promoting false religion, just as a prostitute would would do her bidding, this Babylonian, the great, this mother, will prostitute false religion. So let's look at the text, try to work our way through this chapter. Her power is mentioned in verses 1 through 2. And notice that it says that, that she sits on many waters. You see, again, verse 15, skip down to verse 15. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are people's, multitudes, nations, and languages. In the last days, this apostate religion will hold sway over the entire world. That what she does 
Nearly everyone will be affected by it. Nearly everyone will look to her for, for spiritual guidance and fulfillment. Nearly everyone will be looking towards this Babylonian mother, this prostitute of false religion, and there will be this union of church and state. Now, I know in America today, we, you know, there's all kinds of people that start talking about the separation of church and state, and I, I'd like to get into that one for a while because it was never intended to be what people make it out to be in today's world. Uh, but, but I want you to see what it says in verse 2 about this union. With her, the kings of the earth committed adulteries, the leaders of the world committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. The, there, there will be this, she will have influence over all the world. They will be in, intoxicated, if you will, by her way of thinking. There, there will be a, un, a union also with the demonic. Look at verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit uh, into a desert, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. This is the same beast that we met in chapter 13. Write that in the column there, if you would. This is the same beast we met in chapter 13. He is the Antichrist, and he's working with this prostitute. He's working with this false church. So the Antichrist will be involved in the work of this false church. And, and it's described, she is described in terms of demonic in power and in nature. Uh, let's read verse 4 through 6. The woman was dressed, this woman, this one who promotes false religion, this woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, uh, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand. No, no, before you read any more, so what she has and the way she promotes herself in this false religion will seem very inviting and enticing. But it, notice she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And this title was written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And look at verse 6. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. So this false church, this false religion that will arise in the last days will focus on not only pulling people away from the true God, but also persecuting those who worship the true God. She will be thirsting on the blood of the saints. Babylon is described in first six verses, and then Babylon is interpreted. And, and this gets to be very interesting, beginning in verse 7. It says, then, I, then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? It, again, it's as if John can't believe what he's seeing. This vision, he can't believe what he's seeing. And the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. All right, that sounds great. Explain it to us, John. An angel, the, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to the destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of the life, book of life from the creation of the world, would be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. Continue to read. This calls for, for a mind with wisdom. And everybody says, Amen. 
This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are, are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. This is interesting. We'll talk about this in a moment. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. All of this, by the way, is a play on the, on the Scripture that describes God as the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And so now, this, this Antichrist, this false religion, uh, will be built upon that, and it will be, in, in essence, mocking, in some ways, the one true God. Now look at verse 11. The beast who once was, who now is not... I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 10. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he will remain for a little while. The beast who once was, and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Let me pause there for a moment. I guess there's a lot we could try to dig into in a few minutes, but... I want to focus on these seven kings. It, it might help us to understand this whole thing that is so confusing. I want us to focus on these seven kings. And notice how they are described. How in verse, um, verse 10, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. All right, let's, so let's try to get our mind around that. Five have fallen, five have already been on the scene, five have fallen. One is, one is now in, you know, as he was writing, one was now, uh, uh, in, was now ruling, and one, he says, is yet to come. Now, scholars have tried for centuries to, to describe this as maybe the Roman Empire and seven emperors, and there's all, been all kinds of, of theories as to who these kings are. I want to give you one possibility, and, and I... I I just simply acknowledge it's just a possibility, but to me it makes sense, all right? Maybe it'll make sense to you. In that column or in the, on the back of your paper, let me give you seven kings that I believe is described here. And it's fascinating when you begin to study it, when you begin to study church history. It's fascinating to see how these, how these kings and kingdoms unfold. And before I go further, let me acknowledge that I'm talking more about kingdoms than I am kings. Because in the Bible, many times, the king and the kingdom were inseparable. All right? So, so I acknowledge that the ones that I'm talking about are, are five kingdoms, not just five kings. So I acknowledge that that is one of the weaknesses of this interpretation. But I think it makes, perhaps, a very good sense as to what it's referring to here. If you look at Scripture, there are five empires that threaten God's people in the Old Testament. You might want to write that down. There are five empires that threaten God's people in the Old Testament. The first one was Egypt. During the days of the Israelite slavery, they tried to destroy God's chosen people. So there, there was the Egyptian empire. And they even went to the extent of, of ordering the that all male babies be killed. There was absolutely this, this focus on destroying God's people. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the spirit of the Antichrist has been at, has been at work for, for many, 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 many centuries. There will be a, uh, one day a, a personality known as the Antichrist, but the spirit of the Antichrist, First John tells us this, the spirit of the Antichrist has been in the world for a long time. 
And so this, this propensity to try to eliminate God's people has been in, in existence for most of, of scriptural history. So here's one kingdom, if you will, that may fit this, Egypt. The second kingdom after Egypt was the kingdom of Assyria. During the days of the prophets of Hosea and Isaiah, they destroyed the ten northern tribes of Israel in 722 B.C. So Assyria comes in, 722 B.C., and they destroy God's people, the, the ten uh, northern tribes of Israel. Then there was a third kingdom that came. Babylon, during the days of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, destroyed the two southern kingdoms, 586 B.C. 586 B.C. And when I'm teaching, um, I'm not teaching now, but when I was teaching at Anderson, when we get to this section of, of biblical history, it's fascinating when you begin to study how these kingdoms would come up, they would, they would come on the scene and, and uh, try to destroy the work of God and the people of God. Uh, and, and they were working to the, together, and yet... At the same time, you can see the sovereignty and the providence of God using even these kingdoms to accomplish His will, especially during the intertestamental period, the time between the Old and the New Testament. So, so here's what we've got so far. The first one is who? Talk, talk to me. first one is who? Egypt. Tried to destroy God's people. Uh, then, then who was the second one? Who was the third one? Here's the fourth one. The fourth one is Persia. Persia, during the days of Esther the queen, about 460 B.C., came very close to destroying every Jew by plotting, uh, because of the plotting of Haman. Uh, I'm thinking about maybe preaching through the, the book of Esther sometime, maybe in the summer, like I did Ruth this past summer, uh, because there's so much rich material in that book uh, of Esther. But it was the Persians who, who came very close through the plotting of Haman to destroying Every Jew, again, there's that spirit of the Antichrist, this propensity to eliminate God's people. And then the fifth one is the Seleucid Empire. I'll spell that one for you. S-E-L-E-U-C-I-D. I'll say it again. S-E-L-E-U-C-I-D. The Seleucid Empire uh, was successor to part of Alexander the Great's realm. If you think in terms of Alexander the Great, you'll, you'll understand the Seleucid Empire. Now, during this Seleucid Empire, there was a guy that you need to write down, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you his name and spell it for you, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, Antiochus, A-N-T-I-O-C-H-U-S. Epiphanes, E-P-I-P-H-A-N-E-S. 168 B.C., if you want to write that down. He desecrated the temple of Jerusalem and he outlawed the practice of Judaism. He wanted to destroy Judaism and God's people. So he desecrated the temple. Uh, what Daniel talked about, the, the abomination of, of desolation, occurred during this time. Uh, by the way, the Maccabeans, I, I don't want to get too much into this, but the Maccabeans revolted against him. They, they overcame him and they cleared and cleaned the temple and re committed the temple, and that's where the Jewish people, that's why the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah around, around uh, Christmas time. Hanukkah is simply the celebration uh, uh, where Antiochus was, was uh, eliminated and the temple was, was restored. 
And so, those are five. Five fallen kingdoms. Go back to Revelation. Let, let me, what verse was that? Verse 10, I believe it was. They all, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen. That would describe every, all the five that I've given you. Five have fallen. One is. Who do you suppose that one would be? One is. In the days of John, when he wrote one is, what kingdom would be in charge there? Rome, exactly. One is, which would be Rome. The other has not yet come. I believe that likely is, is a reference to the final kingdom, which will be the kingdom of the Antichrist. One that has not yet come. It's the kingdom of the Antichrist. Um, and of course, the devil will, will uh, be behind that to eliminate God's people once again. And then he refers to the eighth king. Look how it says. Verse 10, read it again. There are five, uh, I'm sorry, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is Rome. The other has not yet come, the Antichrist. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. He's going to be here for a little while. Verse 11, the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The eighth king. So you have the kingdom of the Antichrist would be the seventh kingdom. The eighth king would be the Antichrist leading that kingdom. I told you before we got started, it's going to be a lot of stuff, right? So let's continue to read and work our way through because I want to make sure we get to chapter 18. Verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. The kingdoms of the world will begin to surrender their power, their authority to the beast. Verse 14, they will make war against the Lamb. That same spirit will continue throughout history, that has continued throughout history, will come to a climax here. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of, the, of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His called chosen and faithful followers. They will make war against the Lamb, but it, listen, you're going you're to agree with this, I know. It doesn't matter how many kingdoms come against Him, he will be victorious because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No nation, no kingdom, no army will be able to stand against him. Now, they will try. They will try with everything that they have. They will bring together nations to come against God and against God's people. But praise the Lord, they will be defeated. Verse 15, Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. I want you to notice this phrase, until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Would you notice this phrase, until God's words are fulfilled? Some people have called prophecy history written in advance. I like that. History written in advance. 
because God is, is sovereign and Lord over all, He already has a plan. He already has written history in advance. And ladies and gentlemen, it's going to unfold just like He's written it. Every part of it will be unfolded just like He's written it. So in chapter 18, He talks about the fall of Babylon. And because He has written history in advance, we know, we sometimes have a hard time understanding it all, but we know ahead of time how this is going to unfold. Babylon, in this situation, symbolizes the wickedness of the Antichrist and his values. During this time, let me give you the context before we begin to read chapter 18. During this time, there will be a one-world government. You might want to write this down in the column there. During this time of chapter 18, there will be a one-world government, a one-world religion, and, this is important, a one-world economy. And during this time, there will be an economic collapse that will make the Great Depression of 1929 seem like child's play. I remember my dad used to talk... My dad was a young boy during... Uh, a young, young boy during the Great Depression. Uh, maybe just one or two years old. And I remember him talking about how his parents described the Great Depression. And, and just how hard it was in America. That pales in comparison to what's going to happen, not just in America, but worldwide. So let's look at this. First of all, I want you to notice the depravity of Babylon. Notice the godlessness of her sin. And, and again, Babylon symbolizes the wickedness of the Antichrist and, and his values. And it says in verse, verse 1, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. So this mighty angel is coming down. And we don't know if it's a, just an angel or if it's the Lord Jesus, but, it, but this angel had great authority, and, the, and look at this, the earth was illuminated by his splendor. I mean, this is some kind of angel, right? This is, this is a magnificent angel, or maybe it's the Lord Jesus himself. The earth was illuminated by the splendor of this angel. And verse 2, not with just a voice, but with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home, notice this, she has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. From God's vantage point, Babylon is as good as gone. From God's vantage point, so far as God has, has, is concerned, Babylon has already fallen. From God's vantage point, her destruction is earmarked for a future date, but it's as good as if it's already happened. Prophecy in advance. History written in advance. Now the reason for extermination is spelled out very clearly in verse 2. The system or the kingdom of the Antichrist is infiltrated with demon worship. Listen to the New Living Translation. She has become the hideout of demons and evil spirits, and a nest for filthy buzzards, and a den of dreadful beasts. You already know this, but can I just try to paint the picture for you? The system of the Antichrist is a system of Satanism. 
Have you noticed, ladies and gentlemen, the rise of Satanism in our world? Are you familiar with that? Are you keeping up with the occult and how it is rising in our world? The occultic filled with witchcraft and demons will have a free reign like never before. But already in American society, we're hearing a lot about, about the occult and about witchcraft and those kind of things. But evil demons during this time will be unrestrained and will infest the world. And I want you to notice the magnitude of the sin in beginning of verse 3. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. God is saying to this city of Babylon, if you will, this city dominated by the Antichrist, God is saying, all right, you have an opportunity to come out of that system and if you do not, you need to understand that you will experience the judgment that will come against that city. And it's described uh, as sins that are stacked up. Look at it in, again in verse... Uh, I lost it. Verse 5. Her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Does this sound familiar to anything that you might know of in the Old Testament? Her sins are piled up to heaven. Does, does that sound like anything in the Old Testament? Exactly. Tower of Babel. And here we have this picture of the sins of the Antichrist and those that are, that are agreeing to the leadership of the Antichrist, that the sins are stacked up. It's kind of an, an analogy. Her sins are stacked one on top of another like bricks in that tower. He's given an opportunity to, to those who are under the influence who live in that city of Babylon. To come out of her. Now, whether or not they will, I don't know. But, but he's giving that, I would call a gracious invitation to come out of this city. To come out of the leadership of the Antichrist. Now, re remember in uh, verse 5. Or, I'm sorry, look at verse 5. It says, God remembered her crimes. Have you ever wondered... Have you ever wondered if sometimes people get away? How some, why, God, why, why didn't you do something about that? God, why didn't you do something about this person? Why, why did you allow? Why, why didn't you stop this? Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? And it seems like sometimes people are getting away. And, and, and I'm not just talking about your buddy at work that kind of you know, stole something, although you may wonder about that. But, but I'm talking about atrocities that happen sometimes. And we think, how could God let that somebody like that leader do that. You know, uh, when uh, in Somalia or someplace like that where hundreds or thousands of innocent people are slaughtered, where they're lined up in a ditch, a man-made ditch, and then, and then they are just shot and dropped in, into the ground. And in places where children are, are just slaughtered, and we, God, how could you allow that? Why would you, why don't you do something? Here's an invitation that God sees, God knows, God waits, and when the time is right, God will deal with those sins once and for all. 
I mean, if you think about it, that's the way it was in the days of Noah, wasn't it? In the days of Noah, the flood, the sins were occurring, and eventually they got so bad, God sees, God knows, God waits, and when the time was right, God acted. There comes a time when the repugnant stench of sins of a city or even a nation reaches up to heaven and cries out to God to act. And I'll I'll just honestly say to you, heaven may seem silent sometimes. We may wish God would act a little sooner sometimes. We may wish that God had a more of a responsive uh, nature to some things that we see, that we witness. But God does not turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to what's going on in our world. One day, in His sovereignty, He will act in judgment... And when he does, ladies and gentlemen, his judgment will be swift and it will be decisive. Sometimes I just have to remind myself, and I I did this just a couple of days ago. Sometimes I just have to remind myself, God will settle that account. That's that's the only way I can deal with it sometimes. A couple of days ago, I won't go into the situation, but, but I just had to remind myself, God will settle that account. And here's... Here's an example of that. Let's read it again in verse 5. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Now look down to verse 6 through 8, the payment for her sin. Here's the payment. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. So, so Let's try to get the context here. Babylon will be this, this empire that will be led by the Antichrist and, and, and fueled by the Antichrist. And this empire will one day be repaid for what they've done. There, there will be uh, the old famous preacher, I've forgotten his name, Payday Someday. Who was that? Yeah, yeah. He, used to, he had this great, 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 he preached it everywhere. Payday someday. Yeah. And so, so that's what we're talking about here. That there's coming a payment someday. The bottom line is this. You can't sidestep the Lord. You, you can't hide from the Lord. And you can't out, outthink the Lord. Remember a few weeks ago we said you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow, and you reap more than you sow. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Somebody put it this way, you can't win, I'm sorry, you can't sin and win. You might think you can, you might think you'll get away with it, and for a while it may appear that you are, but you can't sin and win. When judgment finally comes to Babylon, it will be swift, it will be sudden, it will be sure. Look at verse 8. Therefore, in one day, all it takes is one day for God. In one day, 
Her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And then finally, there is the disappointment of Babylon. These verses deal with the, I believe, the economic catastrophe that will occur in the last days. The last days of tribulation. When the Antichrist is reigning, this will be the greatest economic crash in the history of the world. Uh, Look how it's described. Verse 9 and 10. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her, when the kings of the earth, the leaders of the world who, who followed the leadership of this, this uh, Babylonian empire, this Antichrist empire, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour, your doom has come. Isn't that interesting? In one hour, your doom has come. It doesn't take long for God to act, does it? The leaders of the world will follow the Antichrist because of the promise to stabilize the economies of the world. The leaders of the world will put their trust in the Antichrist. But in one day, in one hour, the entire global economy will go down the tubes and no one will be able to do anything to stop it. That's described in the next verses, verse 17. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet cloth, every sort of, of uh, citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice and of incense and myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and carriages and bodies and the souls of men. That probably is a reference to slavery there, to slaves. Keep reading. They will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in the fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. In one hour, there's that phrase again, in one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Notice the dramatic impact. All that they worked for, all that they accumulated, all that they depended on, gone up in smoke. One minute they had it, the next moment it was gone. Their stocks, their shares, their bonds, everything will be gone. Notice how it even will affect the shipping industry of the world. Verse 17, in one hour such great wealth was been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who traveled by ship, the sailors and all who earned their living from the sea, will stand far off. And when they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city. See, they put all their hope in this system, in this city, in this empire led by the Antichrist. Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. 
In one hour, there's that phrase again, in one hour she has been brought to ruin. And then we see finally the destruction of the city, verses 20 through 24. Verse 20, before we read it, verse 20 gives us a different perspective than we've seen so far. Verse 20, it almost sounds odd because it's a totally different perspective of anything we've seen so far. In verse 20, there is a voice of celebration. Rejoice over her, O heavens. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. Why? Why are you rejoicing at the calamity that was going to be worldwide? Here's the reason. God has judged her for the way she treated you. That's an important verse right there. When this Babylonian system, this empire is is destroyed, the Bible says in heaven they're saying rejoice. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged the one. He's finally judged the one for the way she's treated you. So there's this voice of celebration. And then verse 21, there's a prophecy of vindication. It says, Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, Notice this. Look at this carefully. With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Then the curtain falls forever in verses 22 and 23. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. Then in verse 24, God makes no apology. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and all who had been killed on the earth. Those that the world thought were crackpots and nobodies will be remembered because it says, In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who had been killed on the earth. God does not take lightly when His people are slain. God does not forget when His people are martyred. The blood of innocence is remembered by God Almighty. And one day, He will settle that account. Always remember that. One day, he will settle that account. Now, all of that leads us to chapter 19. In my Bible, the, the heading of chapter 19 is Hallelujah. Is that the title in yours? Come back next time. Not next week. Next week we'll be in the LC. But the next time we come together, we got some good stuff to talk about. I'm tired of the blood and guts. Let's get to the glory. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus... I am so grateful that even though it is hard for us to understand sometimes this prophecy and this plan, I acknowledge and confess and celebrate the fact that prophecy is simply history written in advance. You sovereignly have a plan and you will carry it out. 
And you will vindicate your holiness. You will vindicate your people. You will vindicate your martyrs. And you will deal with sin once and for all. May our lives honor you. Because you are Lord and you are God. And there is none other. And it's in the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.